This morning I spoke to you on the subject of worship. On the subject of worship. Because we have to understand what worship is. Worship is not singing. If we reduce worship, we call a segment of the service praise and worship. And if we reduce worship to that, you think that you're off the hook for the rest of the week. You've worshiped this week. Worship is part of our lifestyle. It's part of the Christian's lifestyle. I said to you that in Exodus 22 is the first time that we hear the word worship mentioned by Abraham when he says to his servants, me and the young boy will go yonder and worship. And he was about to go offer his son as a burnt offering. That's his worship. His worship means that he sacrificed, will, was willing to sacrifice his son. And it's, 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 as I said to you, it comes down to considering one worth more than the other. The devil wanted the worship of the angels. He wanted to be like the most high God. And at his attempt of temptation to Jesus, he wanted Jesus to worship him. And he offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world to worship him. He said to him, I will give you all these kingdoms if you were to worship me. Which means that if the devil, <clears throat> out of everything the devil has, because don't be confused, the devil has has been given this world by Adam and Eve because dominion was given to Adam and Eve and when they sinned they gave it to him and he can't Jesus doesn't say to him you can't give me what already belongs to me Jesus goes on with his story when he says I'll give you the kingdoms Jesus doesn't say ah you don't own it Jesus does it by virtue of not responding and saying you don't own it sort of signifies that well maybe the devil has king kingship over some of the kingdoms of this world. He says, if you were to worship me, I'll give you all of this. Which means that he who has the worship is worth more than what was exchanged for it. The devil would want worship more than he would want the kingdoms because he'll give the kingdoms for worship. He'll exchange the kingdoms for worship because worship, having the worship is worth more than having the kingdoms. And sometimes we say to God, God, you're our everything, but we don't consider him worth it. Worth, worship, ship, the ship part of the word means to be in a state of being, like a friendship. I'm in a friendship. It's a, it's a state of being in a relationship, a relationship, a companionship, leadership. It's in a state of. So it's in a state of worship. When we worship, it's considering God, being in a state of considering God worthy. He is worthy more than anything. And when we put a price to it, is he, what is that price that takes, is, is, is worth more than God? What can take your worship away from you? For many of us, it's not even money. It's not even money that takes God's place. It's our problems. For many of us, it's our concerns and worries that takes God's place. And we consider that worth more because we spend more time and energy on them than we do on God. God is there and many of us worship God because we don't want to miss out. We want to make sure that we don't make the mistake of, of ignoring God. What if he's real? Just, so we just give him barely enough thinking that if we give him this, it should cut it. Because if God is real, I don't want to get to heaven and have not given him anything. And also I don't want to get to heaven and given him everything and he doesn't exist. So I, I sort of want to have 
two sides of the coin. So I give him a little bit to have him be happy and then at the same time enjoy life so that if he is not real, I enjoyed a little bit of it at least. And this is why many people are standing with one feet, foot in the kingdom and one foot in heaven. And they're undecided and they're torn between the two. It's a struggle from Sunday through Monday. It's not here that's the problem. It's Monday afternoon when this room is not there. And you also want to fit in. And you want to be in both sides of the coin. And you want to have both worlds work out. So I want to try and continue this topic of worship. And what got me on this is this verse in Colossians, chapter number 3, verses 14 to 16. It says, but above all these things, <clears throat> put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word, it's talking about the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How do we teach and admonish one another? We often want to be a preacher to someone when he's saying you teach someone by song. That's what he's saying there. Unless I'm reading, reading that thing wrong. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. How do you get the word of Christ to dwell in you? Now let's reason about this for a second. This is not the core of my text message tonight, but I thought this is valuable to put in here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you get the word of God to dwell in you. You get truth to be put in you by the songs you sing, by psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You get the word of God. You teaching and admonishing one another through spiritual songs and hymns and psalms. How often do you just stop and read psalms? What do we sing? We don't know the music that's out there. We don't have Christian songs in our hearts. And we don't make a, sing a new song unto the Lord. There's psalms that talks about a new song. New song for a new season. And we need to learn how to sing unto God. Because the truth that we know should be put to, to lyrics. And uh, put to music. Because there's something that happens in those truths. The, the truth is this, you are in the world, but not of the world, yet we are taught by the music of this world. Because we find the music of this world more entertaining than we find the music of the church. Because every generation has a like and a dislike. What do you think determines that? What determines your like or dislikes, your clothing, your, your style, the, the, your fashion sense? What do you think determines that? The church. The world, but we are in the world, but not of the world, yet we want to be liked by the world. So we dress like the world, listen to the music of the world, like the same type of music, yet we want to be different than the world. The Bible says we are in the world, we are not of the world, but you have to know that you are being affected by the world in which you live. You can fit in but be powerless, or you can stand out and make a difference. You can either have God's attention, or you can be liked by the world, but you'll never have both. You're going to have both. You can be liked by the Christians, but you won't be liked by both. If you are liked by both, you have to know that you're ineffective. You're in the middle somewhere. You don't belong to them and you don't belong to them. You're not, you're not really accepted by The moment Paul said we made a mistake, his own people persecuted him. You'll never fit into both worlds. You choose one, you sustain yourself there. Turn with me to Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter number four. We'll start there and work this out. Ephesians chapter number four. Therefore, I, I the prisoner, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. <clears throat> but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the Christ gift. To each one, grace was given according to the measure of the Christ gift. And therefore, he says, you ascended on high, was led captive and uh, led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth? Who descended also uh, is the one who ascended far above. The, all of this is not really relevant, but pay attention. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I want to say there that not everyone is that. You are not that. There, he gave gifts unto men. So there are people who are gifted to do certain things. Deal with it. It is a fact and it is a truth. There are certain people who are gifted to do certain things. They are gifted by God. You can aspire to try and do it. I aspire to be a paddle tennis player. I don't have to call it paddle tennis, but it makes sense. I aspired at one point to be a CrossFit athlete. Now I just do CrossFit. At one point, I aspired to be a bodybuilder. I gave up on that dream because there's certain things that we just can't do, Zach. <laughs> it's not pick on Zach day. It's just he's here. I'm here. It makes sense. But he, he, he appointed some to be apostles, some to be uh, uh, prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, and not all, some. Not everybody is gifted. Not everybody is gifted to do this function. I believe that some, God has put something in everybody, but not everybody is gifted, and we're not gifted at the same level either. We're not gifted at the same level. You might be a teacher, but God considers you a teacher to your small group. And that's the level that you function at. And yeah, just as politicians, you have politicians that can make certain rules and certain things. Judges in, in, in court system, you have certain judges over regions. And, and then you have high court judges and you have uh, uh, justices and you have different levels. All deal with the law, but at different levels. Different levels of gifting. You have apostles in, in regions and you have apostles over continents. And you have apostles that can travel the whole world and have authority. Wherever God sends them, they have a voice to this, uh, to... Uh, to all the different groups of, uh, of people around the world. They get into China and Chinese people listens to them. At the moment, all only people that listens to me is Afrikaners. And then Afrikaners, I'm not talking about Afrikaans speaking people I'm, because Ian is English. I'm talking about people that stay in Africa. At the mo I don't have, anyway, not the point. Till we all, he says here, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith. 
for the edifying of the body of Christ, so we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer children, tossed to and fro, and then carried about with every wind of doctrine. So when the gifts are not in place, and when we as a body of believers cannot understand that there are certain people gifted for certain things, that not everybody is equal because we are not equal, in our gifting nor responsibility, the people become individuals tossed to and fro. We are there on Monday and there on Sunday. We are in different places going through our lives. And Christianity is up, then it's down. Then it's up, then it's down. It's not stable. Do you think it's good that the churches are running empty? There are churches out there who's, who's, who's literally serving their last generation. When this generation dies out, the older generation that's in those churches, they have no one to come to church on a Sunday. They're one generation away from closing their doors. Do you think that's healthy? I think it's because the gifts are not in place. He says, but speaking in truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body is joined together, knit together by every joint, supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth in the body for the edifying of the self. New man, this is what I wanted to get to you. Now, the, all of this is exist, the gifts exist so that we grow in knowledge, so that we understand how to be what we ought to be. We think, many Christians think, that they, they have a, a relationship with Jesus in isolation. So when I have a need, I pray to God, God answers the need. I need no one else. This is not how God does it. He wouldn't put pastors in place. He is the great shepherd. Why would he put a pastor in place if he does the work himself? There are people in their ignorance waiting for revival that says this is a divine move of God. He doesn't need people. The only reason they say this is because they don't trust people. Then if God begins to move on people, do you think those people get to a place where God can use the people? No, they never get there. What's the point of God moving on the people? Why would we want revival if the revival's end result is still bad people? God uses people to help people. Many times the prayers that you're praying, the answer is not in God, it's in the person that God put over you. Why would God do that? So that you would recognize that you need your brother. He says, love your brother. Consider your brother more, uh, more important than yourself. Love one another. He says, in this you will know that you are mine. But we can't love one another if I can't even take advice from you. So God puts the answer sometimes. It's, it's not that the answer... God has the answer, but he locks it up. He says to Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So who has the keys? Peter has the keys. So if you want the keys, you have to speak to Peter, not to God. But we much rather want to speak to God, not to a brother, because we can't trust the brother. And the moment we trust the brother, we're telling the brother that I have to have, I have, to have some humility to, to acknowledge that you may have a gift. And I don't want to acknowledge that you have a gift. I want to, I want to do this and not say it was you. What's it? Who put the disabled here? Watch this, new man. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer work, uh, walk, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind, 
You should no longer walk as Gentiles walk. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, mind darkened, removed from God because of the ignorance. In other words, not knowing. So in their ignorance, in them not understanding, their minds get darkened and they get removed from God. Gentiles means those that are not saved, right? The Bible says you should not walk as Gentiles. I'm coming. Are you awake? Here we go. You should not walk as Gentiles. You should be in a church saying that I am. You don't even have to be in the church. But you as a church, child of God should say I, a child of God, carry within me this understanding that I belong to heaven. I belong to God. He is my God. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I'm covered by Him. He is in front of me. He is behind me. He covers me on all sides. He is the one that holds me in the palm of His hands. I belong to God. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. I'm not like the rest of this world. I'm not without aim. I'm not wandering aimlessly about. I am on my way somewhere. There is, there is a cause in my walk. There is something about me. I am a child of God. The Gentiles cannot save this because their minds are darkened. They are so darkened in their mind, cut off from God, and they don't even know that they don't have. In their lack of having, they're pursuing small things to give them feeling for life. They find it in prostitution. They find fulfillment in pornography. They find it in a cup of alcohol. Is it a cup of alcohol? So he says, ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, and indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. You put off the old man. He is saying this to the Ephesian church who's already saved. Christian, he is saying to you that you put off the old man. You did not put him off when you got baptized. That old man is very present tonight. The old you is sitting on this chair thinking about that cigarette. Tell me it's not the truth. I was there. The old you can sit in this church and see a girl from that side and think to yourself, hmm, as he I've yet. I've yet. Hey, check you. Your old you is he, here. He, he says, you have, you have learned this from Christ. You put off the old man. It's, it's, a very present continuous thing that is happening in your life. It's not something that happened in your past once off. He says, the truth is, uh, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, have been taught by him, that the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt. You watch the language, just put it on the screen, I'll read it from there, 22. You put off the old man, concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt. You thought you were bad when you got saved. You're still growing bad. The old you is not dying slowly of old age. 
it feels like the old you is strengthening in power. Don't think the devil has given up on taking you out. And he can't take you out with yesterday's old man. He is still feeding him. He is still feeding your old man with desires that you don't even know you had. That when you turn 20, new levels of desire gets unlocked. When you turn 25, new issues arise in your mind. Things you begin to think of that you never thought was necessary. Things you now want, you never wanted when you were 16. The old man is growing corrupt. There is needs and wants in your flesh that the old man is crying out for you to have. He says, you have to put off the old man that is growing corrupt. This is a reminder that while you are a child of God, you have in the inside of you an old you that's fighting for freedom. And in you, this fighting for freedom doesn't know that when you get it, it's not freedom, it's more bondage. When you get what your flesh wants, it feels like you got what you wanted, but at the same time, you got chains. You don't know that this thing that is in you that is corrupt wants you to die. It's not it. It's just ignorant, blind, and, and the devil is playing with you. He wants you. He says, you were not taught this way. The way you were raised is to be, you, you can't deal with the devices of the devil if you don't know in you is a part of you that wants to go back to who you were. You can only effectively deal with it if you know that you're consistently fighting the old you. The old you is not dead until you die. And we crucify, pick up your cross. Why does he say pick up your cross daily? Because you think that you beat him Monday, Tuesday he's back again. And then you crucify him on Tuesday, Wednesday he is back again. And you think you've beat him, you have a seven day clean streak, you go on seven days clean. And on Monday or Sunday the next week, Jenny walks past you. And the clean you. Part of you wants to pray for her. And part of you wants to lay with her. which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you would put on the new man which was created according to God in the righteousness and holiness. In true, you, you put off the old man, you put on the new man. So the best way I can explain this to you, how it's connected to worship. Let's see if I can do this very quickly. In Exodus 2 chapter, Exodus chapter number 2, it says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. They cried out, their cry came up before God because of their bondage. So God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. So here you have the Egyptians. Uh, they, they, they forgot that they made a promise to Joseph. And they said to Joseph, yes, the prince of Egypt. You know the prince of Egypt, the movie. And, and, and so, so, so Joseph uh, brings his whole family there. They multiply and they, they have many, many babies and they grow up in numbers. And they are so many in numbers. The Egyptians get fearful of them and they, they put them under strict uh, rulership and they, they, they start handling them like slaves. And you have the Israelites serving in Egypt like slaves. They're in strict bondage. And in their bondage, they're praying to God, God, we're struggling. I'm not making this work. 
God, I, I want to be free from this thing. I want, we, we as a people want to have our own place. We want to be our own people. God, it's time that you get us out from the suppression of the Egyptians. Now, 400 years living in Egypt has an effect on how you see things. Now, remember the Egyptians had the father Abraham who knew God. Abraham was brought from his father's country out of Egypt into a foreign land and he knew God. He saw miracle signs and wonders. Then he has a child called Isaac and they see God and, and Isaac sees God's hand in his life and he moves. And, and, and Isaac has a son called Jacob, the deceiver, and he sees the hand of God and he moves. You see, he works for, um, what's the dude, uncle's name? Laban, Laban. He works for Laban and he, he serves him for, for his entire life, 14 years to, to just get to marry his daughter. If you want to marry one of my daughters, 14 years of service. It's the minimum requirement. And he works. And so you have this. And now Joseph is born. And, and in 400 years under oppression and slavery begins to make you think like those who control you. And God hears their groaning because they're in bondage. Many of us are praying for God to step into our world, but we don't like the way that God will do it. Now, I'm here to tell you tonight, for you to put off the old man is not a miracle. There are certain things that God will do in your life that's a miracle. And there are certain things that God will not do in your life through a miracle. Because if, it, if God has to do it, he will not tell you to do it. So there are things you providing for your family is not going to happen through a miracle if you're a man. There are certain things that God's not going to do to you, through you, as a miracle. He's not going to help you put off the old man by a miracle. You're going to have to do it. Because if he does it for you, it was never you who chose him. If he forces you to put off the old man, then it's him that is forcing you to do it. You're not really serving him. You're a robot. In other words, forgiveness doesn't happen through a miracle. I can't pray for you to forgive me. I can pray to God that he would whisper in your ear and that he would talk to you, but ultimately God leaves the choice with you. If I wanted to divorce Chanel and there's an issue in my marriage with Chanel, we can pray about it that, that God would take away the voices and all of these things so for a moment I can have a reasonable moment with God to just reason through it. I think, but the choice remains mine. God will never force me to change my, to change my choice. Because if he forces me to change my choice, it was never free will. Do you understand? So God puts them in Egypt. Now they're praying to be free. God doesn't respond until they ask for freedom. But when God begins to do this freedom, the people are not ready to understand it, to do it the way that God wants to do it. So the Israelites are sitting in Egypt for 400 years. Now, I, went, I, I travel often, and then we have to eat other countries' foods. And it mostly sucks. I, I must be honest with you, it sucks. I can't wait to come back home and eat a spur sirloin. Maybe I'm not cultured. Maybe I have no class. But a spur sirloin. I was in Italy a while ago. And I ate their pasta. Half cooked. Tomatoes were I didn't like it. But if I were to stay in, in Italy and I were to eat that for the next four years, my taste buds would adjust to that. 
right? If I were to stay there, I, we, we talk about Cape Town like it's a world-class city because it is. Cape Town is a beautiful, we, we stay here, it's our people. We, we know our jokes. When people move to the United States and immigrate there, they can't, they come back because this is our people. We understand load shedding. We can make fun of it. It's our thing. It's our home. It's our country. It's the way we do things. Now watch this. He says in, let me get the scriptures right here. Put up in New King James Version, Exodus 5.1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. So he says to them, I'm going to take my people out of Egypt and I'm going to lead them into the promised land. So he says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go into the wilderness so they can have a festival for me. Now he uses the word festival. He uses the word serve. He uses the word um, the word serve is most often used in these texts that I'll give you now. That, that's the first one. The next one, put it in the New King James as well, 716. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. Put that up. Now, if you can, the word serve there, serve me in the wilderness. Now, change it to the NIV. Worship, serve, and worship. Both of these words are the same word. It has a dual meaning. It's the word abad, which can be understood both as serve and to worship. And he uses the word in 8.1 again, 8.20 again, 9.1. It says, then Pharaoh says to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they can worship me. In 9.1. So he consistently reminds Pharaoh and says, let my people go so that they can worship me, serve me. Your worship is not singing, it's serving. Yes? But now you have a problem. Now you have a problem because you know what Egypt means? I'm gonna, you know what Egypt means to the Christian? It means the old life. The old way of doing things. For 400 years, Opa Khrikis Opa sat in Egypt and he likes South African pizza, but now he's eating Egyptian pizza. And now he's beginning to like it. And when his child is born, the first thing his child eats is Egyptian pizza. And his child eats Egyptian pizza. And now they have, how many, how many generations can you have in 400 years? What about six or seven generations? Six or seven generations eating the same pizza. Do you think the sixth generation remembers the pizza that Abraham ate? Okay. So you are now born into this world through your mom and your dad. And the old you is getting a liking to pizza. Pizza is sin in my story. So your flesh is getting used to what you want. And you're praying, God, take me out of this world. Put me in the promised land. What do you have for my life? The Egyptian story is the same. They're sitting in Egypt. They're used to what Egypt wants them to do. God says, okay, I'll lead you out. Here's Moses. Moses gets on the scene. Moses says, God sent me. You Did you pray? Did you? Even I, Hebrew boys, Sinki, young man says, 
Your woman for sack. Well, God sent me this way. He said, I should take you and your mom and your dad and your whole family. All four million of you come with me. How many were there? About a four million? I'd, let's call it a million. He says, then you all follow me. They're like, follow you where? You prayed, didn't you? Yes, we prayed. We said, God, take us out of this bondage. Well, Moses said, well, God's here. He sent me. No, we don't want to go with you. Why don't you want to go with me? No, we want God to do it. Yes, it's God. He sent me. No, but I thought God would send someone else. Not you, Moses. What nonsense is this? Because he can't even speak properly. They start following this Moses. So he talks to Moses, speaks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says no. Moses says, que mm, paras. Pharaoh says, okay, <laughs> no. He says, okay, he boils. Pharaoh says, mm, no. And he asks him every time, let my people go that they may worship me. They don't even know God. For 400 years, nothing. Don't know God. They don't know how he looks. They don't know how he does a thing. That's why he says, let's take them into the wilderness so that they can worship me, serve me, get to figure who I am. And so Moses eventually gets the people and they're walking out. The Bible says they walked out very rich. And here they're following after Moses, walking out. This is cool. It's not that bad. It's quite easy. And, and it's, they're talking amongst themselves. No, this is not, not bad. We're walking out. Look at this. I'm carrying a, you know that Egyptian I worked for? I took all her earrings, all her Louis Vuitton handbags. Watch here. <laughs> walking out. It's, it's how they left. They walked out with everything. They plundered Egypt walking out. It's nice. It's all smiles. Two days in. I don't know if it was two days. A few days in, they get to a place where there's a Red Sea. I'm going to cut this. I'm not going to read you the scriptures in Exodus. They get to the Red Sea. They look at this thing and they go like, okay, Moses, I don't like this plan. What do you eat? Mm. I want to be free. Mm. This is not easy. So you're a Christian now for, for two years, three years, four years. I've been married for 19 years. I've got a little bit more than some of you. Life's not easy. It's going to throw everything at you. The old you is stubborn. It's not going to die. And you're going to figure out, you're going to see one day that you have problems you don't even know about tonight. You have issues inside of you you don't even know you have. There are things waiting for the right moment in your life to come out of you. And here the Egyptians, uh, the Israelites are sitting. They're following Moses. They don't know this Moses fellow. They don't trust him. This is how most of us are in church. I see you, Pastor, but I don't trust you. I want God to send an angel. You're not that special. He sent me. And to many other people, he sent you. And if you can't accept me, how will they accept you? Let me, make this, let, me, let me make this plain and simple. Your children have to accept you. They don't even have a choice in the matter. They have to accept you. But you can't accept a pastor. So by, by the virtue of you not accepting what God puts in place, is telling your children that they shouldn't really accept you either. Because human, humans fail. They have to pray to God has to do it all divinely, not, not through people. And so here, Moses is here. And then one day they turn around. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. The Bible says that Pharaoh didn't sit at his desk and just figure out, oh, that was a bad mistake. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 
So while God is moving them out, he's in Pharaoh's office. And he whispers in Pharaoh's ear, he says, what you just did was stupid. Pharaoh looks up, he goes like, where are these Israelites? No, they left. Why did they leave? You gave them permission. God says, you did that. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He, God knows he's going to get upset. So Pharaoh stands up. He, gets, he says, get me 600 chariots. He gets choice chariots. And now Pharaoh's on the way after the Israelites. Who did it? God. Why? Because the Israelites are supposed to be God's children. But they haven't got a cooking clue who God is. And they don't know what is in them. They haven't got an idea. So these Egyptians are pursuing them. And as they push them in, the Israelites turn around and see the Egyptians. And they go like, Moses. And Moses, I'm going to read you the story. It's in Exodus. Where is it? Exodus. Uh, Exodus. I don't know where it is. Yes, Exodus 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people. Uh, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We read that. And verse 10, 14, 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out of Egypt, Moses? Are there no graves in Egypt? Why did you bring us out? Why did you do this? You prayed, didn't you? Yeah, but... Uh, I want God to do something, but uh, I don't want God to do it this way. I don't want to put off the old man to have what God has for me. I want to keep the old man and have what God has for me. Can we do that? No, we can't do that. You can't, you can't be like the Egyptians and call God yours. He has to cut you off from the Egyptians. You can't be in Egypt and have God. You have to come out of Egypt to worship him, to serve him. You can't serve him in Egypt while you're serving the Egyptians. You can't have it both ways. You can't be the old man and the new man. Am I making this plain enough? Yeah, but Moses, now, now they want to kill us. We could have stayed in Egypt. You could have stayed in bondage. Yeah, when you say it that way, it doesn't sound nice, but yeah. Some of us are preferring to stay in bondage over the, over the price of putting off the old man. It's easier to be stuck in the old me than fight through the pain to become the new me. We want God to do a miracle. And if he's not going to do a miracle and I have to do the heavy lifting, why would I do that? I'd rather be in Egypt. At one point, the next one that he reads out for them is in Exodus 16. And the children of Israel said to him, Oh, that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. They, they're afraid because the Egyptians are chasing. Now they're thirsty and they don't have water. We don't have water. Moses, we don't have water. They don't know the God that they're serving. And they would choose to rather murmur than to submit. God is teaching. Now they're hungry. Now they're missing Egypt's pizza. 400 years of staying there makes your body want that. Does it make sense? 
if the old you is taken out of a nightclub life, taken out of sexual immorality, taken out of pornography, whatever it's taken out, your flesh has grown accustomed to it and wants it. The old you is consistently fighting to come out. And then God says, put off the old man. They come out. I want, I'll, I'll finish with this. Moses goes up the mountain. They're down here by themselves. They reckon to themselves because on all of us, there's built in that you, you want to call to something for help. They make themselves a God. What God do you think they make themselves? They, they know now that God is real. I mean, they saw, the, they saw the Red Sea crossing. They saw the plagues. They saw the Sprengana. They saw all of that. God is real. What do they make as a God? A, go, a golden calf. What do you, what do you think when they, when they had a vote and they said, what kind of God should we make? What do you think 400 years in slavery taught them about gods? What kind of God are they, are they making? They make a golden calf. The golden calf is very similar to one of the, the, the gods in e Horah, I think, is a calf in Egypt. They're so, they're set free from God, but their mind is still in Egypt. Even when they make a God, they make it like the gods of Egypt. When you are not careful when you are saved, you'll bring in your old way of thinking into the church. And you'll call that worship, not knowing that that worship is inspired by the world. That's why when you've been saved for three weeks, we should not make you the worship leader that writes the songs. Because before long, your songs will have the same sound than the sound of the world. Because you don't know any better. You don't know him yet. And God kept him in Egypt, for, uh, in, Israel, in the wilderness for 40 years so that he can get Egypt out of them. It was easier to take their bodies out of Egypt than it was to get Egypt out of their mind. It's easy for God to save you. There's no cost to it. All you do is come to the front. We'll pray for you. You don't even have to do that. You can sit in. God says there's nothing you can do to be saved. He does all the work himself. But now that you're saved, he says, put off the old man. Ooh, that hurts. That sucks. Jy kan nou nie meer seks heen nie. As jy getrouwd is, moet jy jy sê And if you're not married, you should stop now. Stop it. He says, if, you, if you're now saved, you shouldn't steal anymore. It's in the Bible. It says, stop stealing. I'm saved, but I want this guy's cell phone. The Holy Spirit says, no. You don't take that cell phone. Nia. Put off the old man. You're sitting in front of that computer. You're praying, oh, here to help me. Jesus helps me. Help me, Jesus. I don't want to watch pornography, but yet, old lady, you are all in getuk. You know, you're going to quit pornography. God will set you free. But it'll set you free when you take the keyboard, slide it away, and walk away. And it's one day at a time. 
and it hurts like hell. And you think you beat it because Monday was good. I said, no. Wie vet weet. Maandagmiddag vijf uur. Not even Tuesday, Monday. You're just checking an email. Boom. Pop up. Free porn. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. Push it away. And every time you push it away and you fight, you're busy putting off the old man. But you can't put on because he says put off the old man and he says put on the new man. Many of us are not putting on the new man and we're barely taking off the old man. You can't put off the old man and not put on the new man. You can't say, okay, I'm not that and not embrace who you should be. Put off. Get Egypt out of you. Get rid of what you've grown accustomed to. Stop liking what is in Egypt. Stop liking Miley Cyrus nonsense music. Stop liking the taste of beer. Yeah, but I like the taste of it. Yeah, the meat pots in Egypt. You like the taste of it. The taste reminds you of the parties you used to have. Stop liking the taste. You can't grow used to a new taste if you consistently put in your body the old taste. You can't experience new things if you can't put off the old things. Maybe what I'm trying to tell you tonight, it's going to hurt. There'll be nights where you sit in the corner and you cry yourself to sleep. Some nights you'll fail. Some nights you'll hurt. And then the next morning you wake up and you get it off. Chanel and I have been married for 19 years. I, I keep telling you, because even my mind's blown. You think we've made this this far without fights? No, we haven't. It's, no, we haven't. Some of you think it's possible. No, it's not. But I have to remind myself every morning, just as the old man pops up, I have to remind myself of the new man. The new man made the promises and the vows. It's the new man that has to keep it. It's not the old man. The old man has to die. Every day I have to kill it and accept that the sun has gone up. And as the sun has risen this morning, so has the grace of God risen anew for me. He says to serve me in the wilderness, you get to serve God. You get to worship God. It's in your worship and in your service that you get to know God. If you consistently serve a golden calf, the dead calf will lead you nowhere. But if you begin to worship and to serve God, God will begin to reveal himself to you. I need him to show me who he is.